The Holy Gospel according to Matthew, the fifth chapter. Jesus said to the crowds, You are the salt of the earth, but if salt has lost its taste, how can its saltiness be restored? It is no longer good for anything, but is thrown out and trampled underfoot. You are the light of the world. A city built on a hill cannot be hid. No one, after lighting a lamp, puts it under a bushel basket, but on the lampstand, and it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so they may see your good works and give glory to your Father in heaven. Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have come not to abolish, but to fulfill. For truly, I tell you, until heaven and earth pass away, not one letter, not one stroke of a letter will pass from the law until all is accomplished. Therefore, Whoever breaks one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same will be called the least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever does them and teaches them will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. The gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, Invite the congregation to be seated. So this is one of those days where, where the gospel has a little bit of the things that I would love to preach and also the things in it that I would love to just call a seminarian to preach for me. I, I think I'm like everybody else, and I like to read the things that make me happy and that make me feel good. You know, I like this idea of you are the salt of the earth. And the image that I used with the children this morning was I, I asked if they liked salt, and we had one person who just absolutely doesn't like salt on anything, and she said she scrapes the salt off of her pretzels. And so when I asked her what she prefers, she said sugar. And I, I can't argue with that. I like sugar an awful lot, right? And, and so then everyone else was okay with salt. But I, I remember when I was a kid, I used to occasionally go and get the salt shaker and pour a bunch in my hand and then ah, lick it all off. And I, I can see from your faces that some of you either don't, have done this or you can imagine what that must be like. And the reason that I thought it was an, in, I didn't necessarily like it, but it was, it was an interesting taste. It was a, it was a much different because it's so strong. You know, it's, it's like when you, when you chew on a, I, I don't do well with hot foods, but if you were to chew on a jalapeno pepper or something, you know, there's a strength to that, right? Or, or if you're going to bite straight into a lemon, you know, it's, it's sour and the salt is, you know, just that salty. And I just remember thinking it was interesting because it was so strong. But, but then you do it a couple times in a row. The salt is the same salt, but then your tongue kind of gets used to the saltiness of it. You know, it's kind of like when you, when you jump into a pool that's, that's cold. For the first few minutes, you feel how cold it is, and then after a little while, you kind of grow adjusted to it. Or, or hot water is the same thing. And, and so there's a piece of me that wonders whether when Jesus says that line about salt losing its saltiness, you know, one option is that it's polluted by, by other ingredients, right? Or, or two, maybe it's so diluted, you know, by, by water or whatever else we put in with it that it's overpowered by the other spices. Or perhaps, you know, it, it simply means that sometimes when we spend all of our time eating salt, you know, not only will it kill us pretty quickly by dehydration, but we become so accustomed to it, sometimes we don't notice it. Isn't that kind of an interesting thing to think about? Some, in some ways, I think about that in, in the ways that, um, 
you know, if, if we do something over and over and over again, we, we stop noticing that we're actually doing it. It's kind of like if you ask a professional athlete who's never explained what they do to explain step by step how they throw a football or how they swing a bat, they'll, well, I don't know, I stand at the plate and I just kind of swing. I make sure my hands are lined up and my feet are lined up and then pop, right? But you think about all the different things that they have to do to get their hands lined up and to get their feet lined up and to learn how to sight the ball and learn how to hold the bat and where it belongs on their shoulder for an efficient, you know, we, we lose sight of what that is. I, I think also another thing that happens sometimes is maybe we love salt so very much that we put it on everything. And not just on everything, but I think we've all eaten a dish where the person who prepared it just got so happy about salt, that's all that we can taste, right? And as a metaphor, that's a, a really interesting kind of comparison to some of the things we experience in our culture. And, and I'll say something that's a little bit weird sometimes when you think about it, because as a pastor, I do say that my faith, my belief in God, the way that I respond to God's commandments to love, they season everything in my life. They, there's a flavor of God in everything that I try to do that permeates everything that I try to do. And I hope that other people, when they're sampling the things that I'm producing, are able to taste that God flavor as well. But if I, if I let the God flavor not simply be God, but be my interpretation that overpowers everything, all of a sudden what I become is someone who demands not only that God is real, which, which I know, I like for people to think that too, it's fine, but who demands that not only do they believe what I do, but they believe the way I do, and they believe all the things that I do. And all of a sudden I become a fundamentalist, I become a radical. And aren't we experiencing an awful lot of that fundamentalist radicalism in our culture right now, where we can't just disagree with someone, but they also have to be an awful stupid person to boot? Because if I'm a good person and I'm a smart person and I've come to my opinions through reason and logic and my opinions are right, because, well, my, my opinions are right, but, you know, but that means that if my opinions are right and that's what I place value in, then people who agree with me obviously can't be smart, obviously can't be reasonable, obviously can't have arrived at them at logic. So it, it means that it's not just about the things we believe, but it's about the things we demand of other people as well. And that gets us in an awful lot of trouble. And that's where salt loses its saltiness too, maybe because we have inundated it and all we can experience is that salt and that is completely unhealthy. Maybe I've carried that analogy about as far as it goes, right? The other things that I think are, are good analogies in here are, you know, you are light, a city on a hill cannot be hidden. And the kids had a good time this morning. I asked them if they've ever driven over a hill and then see the lights of a city at night. And a couple of them said, Boston. I remember, this isn't at night, but there's in, uh, as you're going over the bridge to Isle of Palms in South Carolina, which is the beach, that's my favorite beach in the world. There is a point where you crest the top of the bridge and you see the expanse of pine tree and then, or palm trees. And then because there's a lot of rich people now, you see rich people houses and then palm trees and then the beach, and then the ocean. And it's, it's one of the most beautiful scenes I've ever seen. There's another place in South Carolina, in Greenville, as, as you're going up through Greenville, on, or uh, through Spartanburg on I-26, where all of a sudden you crest a hill, and you see, the, you see the mountains in the background with the mist of the clouds over the, and it's beautiful, right? 
when, when we think of the city of the hill, there's a beauty in that. That's when we talk about, and Reagan talked about that, the shining city on the hill, for those of us who remember that. And I think all of us are probably old enough in here to remember that. And, you know, that was such a powerful image because there is something that we are called to be in this world that cannot be hidden because that God flavor permeates everything. You know, those are the beautiful images that I love to talk about. And then you get, and because you all know I can't quote anything to save my life, I'm just going to read the end of this. This is the part that I like preaching on less. You know, do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have come not to abolish, but to, but to fulfill. For truly, I tell you, heaven, until heaven and earth pass away, not one letter, not one stroke of a letter. And in Hebrew, that's yod, which is the smallest letter, or tittle, which is the, thing, the only thing that distinguishes an R from an S, essentially. And uh, we'll, we'll pass from the law until all is accomplished. Therefore, whoever breaks one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same will be called the least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever does them and teaches them will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and the Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. And I think for the most part, this is not one of those times where Jesus is giving scribes and Pharisees a hard time. Jesus is commending them for their faithfulness in executing the demands of the law. And because they are people who develop and, and saturate and, and center their entire lives around how they can obey the laws handed down generation after generation by Moses. And we're not just talking about the Ten Commandments. We're also talking about dietary laws and cleanliness laws and, you know, who do you associate with and not associate with. And, and the righteousness that comes from, from arranging our lives this way is something that's real. We hear Isaiah talking about it today. You know, what is proper fasting? What is improper fasting? And improper fasting is that fasting we do so that we can, we can make everyone else watch us and so that we can look good. And so, you know, and even talks about how on your fast day you oppress other people. Maybe we're passing off our work on other people rather than taking care of our own business, right? And, and one of the things that's beautiful about the law is the law helps us, for those of us who need a guide of what should I do, the law tells us really what we should do. And one of the laws that we see that the scribes and the Pharisees and the chief priests and all of them hold so closely are the laws about work on the Sabbath. And work is defined in a really specific way. The, the way that I know to describe it is essentially those things that we do that move something from one state of being into another state of being. And so for instance, some, some Jewish people, when they're observing the Sabbath, won't turn a light switch on because they're changing the lights from off to on. You know, there, there are restrictions on how you travel. You, you don't make unnecessary travel on the Sabbath. There are other restrictions, like you're supposed... Remember, even, even when, the, when the Hebrew people were wandering through the wilderness and God had given them manna, the instruction was six days you gather manna, and on the sixth day you gather enough for two days because gathering manna was considered working. And so, okay, there's a piece of me that says, that's great, Jesus, you know, follow the law, do those things I'm supposed to do, got it. And then we look at what Jesus did with his disciples. And, and we know that righteousness is important, but we see Jesus with his disciples doing things like picking grain from the, from the stalk and rolling it so that they can get the... And so they're transforming it from grain into something that's edible, that is clearly against the law. And then they ate it, which isn't against the law to eat, but the preparation of it was, and so they shouldn't have eaten it, right? Or 
that we think of someone who comes to Jesus on the Sabbath for healing. Jesus changed them from sick to well. Clearly that's work, right? And so then the question becomes, is righteousness following the rules? Or if Jesus is lifting up the law, and Jesus is lifting up the value of righteousness, and saying that the law and righteousness will not pass away, but Jesus comes to fulfill those things, what does that mean? Because all of a sudden we've lost our rules. Now this doesn't bother me. If you want to see me not do something, you tell me what to do, and that's what I'm going to do, I guarantee it. I, I don't I need rules because I don't like rules, but I, I, do, I do honor the letter, or the, 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 um, not the letter of the law, but, but the intent of the law. And so what is the intent of the law? So we go back and we think about the Old Testament, right? We think about, for instance, the Ten Commandments. Is, are there just ten things that God doesn't want us to do because God happens to be particularly stubborn about those things? Or, or do the Ten Commandments mean something different? Well, let's look at the first commandment, honor the Lord your God and have no others before me. And, and the continuation of that is, for I am the Lord your God who delivered you from Egypt. Isn't that it? It's, it's not because like I'm God and I'm awesome. It's look at what my love does for my people. My love delivers people from slavery into freedom, right? All right, well, let's look at, Let's look at like stealing or coveting. There's lots of things that I want and some things that I want other people have. And, and let's face it, we've all spent a, lot, a little bit of time observing a little too closely those things that other people have and, and being a little bit jealous of them, right? But why wouldn't I steal it? Is, because, is it because God just doesn't like us to steal things? Well, yeah, I would argue that God doesn't like us to steal things, but why? Well, because if I steal something from someone, then all of a sudden I'm living in the guilt of the fact that I've stolen and I feel funny being around that person for good reason. That person, if they know it was me, is angry because they had something and I took it and it belongs to them rightfully. Chances are if it's big enough, I might go to jail and all of a sudden my family no longer benefits from my ability to support them and love them and care for them and be there for them. And all of a sudden, you know, like if I go to the same church and I stole Sharon's sweater, you know, all of a sudden my family is going to feel awkward around Sharon's family. And Sharon's family is going to feel awkward around my And it breaks down the community, right? If I murder someone, same thing. I've deprived the community of that person. My family is deprived of me because I am punished. And all of our families lose out and the entire community loses out on, on the things that we might produce together. And especially for a tribe of people who was wandering through the wilderness it was important that everybody do their part because it might literally be a matter of life and death. So if we're honoring the law, if we, if we respect God's righteousness, then, then saying that the law is not just the things we're supposed to do doesn't free us up to do anything we want. But it does instruct us to really dig in and see what those core values are of the law that Jesus is lifting up as righteous. And so I offer two things. One is Jesus said himself, and so I can say it without any question, love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, and soul, and love your neighbor as yourself. And I add a corollary to that, like 2B, which is, and if I look at myself and realize I don't love me very well, then I need to learn how to love me so I can love my neighbor in, in the way that God commands, right? And because and, I think that love of neighbor means also being a good neighbor to myself. But so the first of those is love. 
The law is love. Everything that we do is done with concern for the people around us. And that's where we get into Isaiah talking about the society that feeds and clothes and lifts up the poor and the oppressed and does not tear people down. That might be something our society needs to hear right now. And then there's a second one, and this is the gospel according to Eric. It doesn't say so specifically, but and sometimes I, I either add or subtract or change what the second one is depending on what my mood is and how I'm kind of thinking about it. But right now, the way I say it is community. And what I mean by that is if the law is love, that means none of us are made to be alone and we're all made to be in community. And so the law is that thing that calls us to live in healthy, good, up, like loving community. And so I don't just steal because that stuff belongs to somebody else. I don't steal because I respect the people around me and it builds up community. And so if God's righteousness is, is really focused upon love and relationship or community, you know, all of a sudden, it doesn't matter as much if I'm rolling the, the oats and eating them or if I'm healing someone on a Sabbath or if I'm turning the lights off and on. And, and maybe in that way, Jesus was getting a little bit of a jab in at the scribes and the Pharisees because they certainly were, were concerned with making sure that everyone does the same things. But remember, we even talked in the, early in the sermon about how much that goes wrong sometimes, that we demand everybody do all the same things. But the righteousness of God is rooted in the way we love others and in the way we engage in relationship and build community. And I guarantee you, if our concerns are building community and loving the people around us, I can't think of anything that the law forbids at that point. So we're, we're left kind of in an interesting position now because it, it means a lot of this is up for interpretation. And remember, a lot of us like to be told what to do even if we don't want to do it, at least we want to know what we're rebelling against. But I, I think it does tell us what to do as well. And, and so here's, here's what I'd like to invite you all to wrestle with a little bit this week. You know, what are, what are the places in your life where you find that you have always been so rigid that you don't know any other way to do it, but you realize that continuing to do it that way just isn't providing you any helpful outcome anymore? And, and maybe you look at the deeper reasons of why you do those things. Or, you know, maybe, there, maybe it is your, your issue that you look in the mirror and you have trouble seeing someone who's beloved of God and you've got to work on treating yourself as a neighbor a little bit. But, but this week, think about how the things that you do build up those values of righteousness according to the kingdom of God, the values of love, and the values of relationship and community and see if that makes a difference in the life that you experience as a person who follows Jesus. Amen.